Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of CISO Talk. I hope you are ready for an awesome show today. Joining me here in just a minute, it's going to be Brett Hudfless, uh, the IT security director, but it's really the CISO over at Wind Creek Hospitality. We're going to have a great conversation for you folks today. But before we get started, if this is your first time tuning in to the show, please comment, subscribe, let us know your feedback. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe, turn on the notification bell to get the latest from our content, including my practitioner brief Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. I give you the latest cybersecurity headlines with a risk, impact, and mitigation perspective. So it's not just, here's a story, let's talk about it. It's what's the risk of this specific headline, What's the impact of it for the business and how do we mitigate it, including actual free resources or paid resources, all kinds of stuff. Really, really cool stuff. So you'll want to tune into that. If you haven't, please make sure to subscribe to the CyberHub podcast on your favorite audio listening channels as well. Today's show is supported by friends over at Know Before and Wistic. So for those watching us, their uh, links are in the show notes. And for those listening, you can also find more about them in the show notes. Now, Without further ado, let's get this party going, guys. Here we go. Brent Huffless joining the show in five, four, three, two, one. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. All right, guys. Brent, welcome to the show. Well, good morning, James. Thanks for having me on. It was, it's great to finally make it onto the show. I know we've I know. talked about it for some time. We have talked about it for some time from, you know, the awesome CISO Thursdays that we the, the CISO Thursday that we did with uh, Naomi and Renee and Chris and to now actually being able to have a uh, CISO to CISO conversation. I think those are always very, very insightful because, you know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And at the end of the day, if we're not able to communicate with each other, we're bound to fail in our roles. Oh, definitely agree. It's always good to uh, to geek out with a fellow CISO and, and just uh, talk shop. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, like like the the slogan to the show says when my buddy did the voiceover, he goes, "Your show's a no sales, no bullshit kind of show." And I was like, "Yeah." You know, I've had I've had a few sister friends tell me, "James, maybe you should cut out the bullshit." And I'm like, "I don't know. I think it kind of makes the character of the show. We're not BSing. This isn't a, a cookie cutter kind of show. We're not, you know, the format is it's all about you, Brent." And so for uh, for those tuning in, uh, Brent here in a second, I'm going to give him the opportunity to introduce himself. Um, I will tell you this, folks. I got to spend uh, about an hour doing Sissel Thursday with Brent. And for those who don't know, Sissel Thursday is 1 p.m. now, Eastern Standard Time with Renee Small and Chris Fallon and Naomi Buckwalter. We all get together and kind of have a really, really fun conversation. And now our new challenge is getting 221 people hired in 2021. So, you know... We've got a long task order. We're at 10, so 10 down, 2, 11 to go. And so if you're a hiring manager, you want to tune into that. But Brett had so much insight, and that's the one thing about this show. The show isn't just about the CISOs you hear about all the time. There's a lot of really great CISOs that are doing magnificent work, and that's the point of the show is to kind of bring it up. And, and I'm so excited to have Brent on because – Brent, you have a, a, a very interesting background. So if you don't mind sharing with our audience a little bit, um, tell us about, a bit about your background and, and kind of uh, um, how you got into cyber. Sure. So uh, it's, it is interesting and in, in how I got there. Uh, I started off in the U.S. Navy uh, back in the early 90s uh, and worked on a uh, reconnaissance platform and dealt with encryption, uh, segmented networks, and some, some very interesting toys, and uh, didn't really think of it as a security-centric role or even dealing with security. There, were, there really wasn't a uh, security field uh, that was around IT at the time. So I you know, shifted from dealing with an operational role, went to a uh, uh, I was dealing with an operational role and I ended up going into an instructor role out in San Diego and spent my last three years dealing with uh, mission systems. But uh, that's actually where I got my first IT security title. So it was a terminal area security officer and um, just dealing with, at the time, a very small network uh, security around it. Some of the some of the early security solutions that you had in the late '90s, you know, back before there was, uh, uh, you know, CISSP certifications, a lot of the certifications, or or even uh, a lot of the tools that we we think of today, you know, back then you're looking at antivirus and firewalls, and that was pretty much it. So, got out of the service and worked for um, Raytheon, AT and T government solutions. Uh, did a, a civil service, federal civil service stint and worked for, I don't know, aviation, training, um, healthcare. Uh, went to work at another contractor, Austell building ships, um, you know, so dealt with manufacturing and uh, some of the same network types uh, that I dealt with when I was uh, in the military. And then about three years ago, made a very sudden and dramatic shift away from DOD and, and military-centric uh, networks into gaming and hospitality, which was an industry that I never saw myself working in. So 
it brings uh, it brings quite a few challenges. You know, you're dealing with uh, gaming machines, uh, you know, hotel networks, uh, hospitality. You've got I, I couldn't even tell you the the thousands of uh, dual connected machines that sit on the floor and uh, flash colorful lights and sounds at everybody, and you're not thinking of those as these network devices. But uh, it's been a it's been a lot of fun um, trying to wrap my my head around this new challenge, and it's uh, provided uh, provided me with a lot of um, I guess opportunity to grow over the last three years. It's kind of a long-winded intro, but... Uh... No, I mean, people's backgrounds are people's backgrounds. And I think, um, you know, doing over 100 episodes of CISO Talk, everyone's got a different story to tell. And I think those stories are important because it kind of... Um, it, it lets anyone listening who's thinking about becoming a CISO to understand that there's no one singular path to becoming one. So, I mean, that's the beauty of cybersecurity is there's no singular path to being a cyber a cybersecurity person. You can be a lawyer and still be in a cyber. You can be an operations person and still get in a cyber. You can be a cashier at Costco and still get in a cyber. Um, really all it takes is just the passion and the drive to want to be in it. And and your background is is awesome because one thank you for your service and everything you did in the times that you served our nation both in uniform and as a civilian. Um and and now you know with doing it as a as now you're a private citizen and it's a little weird to go from you know government 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 to private isn't it? It it is and uh, one of the things that uh, was surprising is I, I remember having a conversation with our CEO uh, not long after I started and he was asking me you know so what do you think about all of our regulations and it, because the uh, the gaming and hospitality industry is very regulated, especially on the gaming side, from a from a financial standpoint, and uh, it's like you know, on, honestly, it's refreshing. I, don't, <laughs> I, I know I know you think it's heavily regulated, but you know, it's this is uh, far and away uh, easier from a regulatory standpoint than what I was used to dealing with, and I think that kind of surprised him and a lot of people is. Uh, if you don't work in the federal sector, if you don't work in uh, that type of uh, industry or space, you really don't know what you're missing out on. And it's just a lot of headaches, it seems. So yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's a lot of headaches and it's a lot of red tape and politics. And not to say that those don't exist in the private sector. Sometimes they're worse in the private sector than they are in the public sector. But when you're... um. Um, when you're working in the military and you spend a lot of time outside the system, meaning in, in the contracting roles for, you know, the Raytheons or, you know, the, the military big five, <laughs> um, the Boos, the Raytheons, the Lockheeds, the BAEs and, and, and Boeing and all those guys, you kind of end up in a, in a, in a perception where you go, really? Like, this is who we hired to do like, wow. <laughs> wow. And it, and it changes so often that, you know, if, if you look back to uh, where we started off, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit with uh, the rainbow series. And, uh, you know, that was very, very early, uh, you know, framework or attempted framework around 
security. And, you know, that evolved into uh, their first uh, special publication, 800-53. And you look at what those early editions were, where eh, maybe you had a couple hundred pages worth of documentation. Um, and now where, you know, you, you've got so much documentation and so much continuous uh, monitoring and uh, uh, administration to perform that it's a full-time job for a lot of people that work in that industry just to maintain the the compliance, the regulatory compliance aspect of it, let alone deal with the uh, the overall security uh, aspects. So I, I, I really don't miss at this point um, jumping out of DOD and getting into the civilian space. It, it's... Uh, it has its own challenges, but it, in many ways, it's, it's again, refreshing and, and fun. Yeah. Um, Jason Loomis and I did a podcast a few weeks ago, and we talked about documentation. Because Jason, like, loves documentation for whatever God unknown reason <laughs> there is. He's got an art behind documentation and writing policies. He talks about it with so much light, so much fever, so much just passion you're like jason just start a business writing policies don't do anything else just do that oh yeah he'd be able to retire within probably two three years easy right he'd, he'd make millions but if he's that passionate about it he'd probably make millions and, and still be writing 10 years from now so he would uh, be yeah he would be those are the same people who um who you know um who, who still do work in their 70s and 80s i mean you know, they still wake up and drive into the office and and kind of go about their day and they won't they won't get out of routine. And, and you love those kinds of people because those are the people who inspire us the most. Um, Brent, let's talk a little bit about leadership. And, you know, you did CISO Thursdays with us and we were talking a little bit about the qualities people needed um, to be in cyber. So share with us, if you don't mind, a little bit about what are the skills and qualities you look for in job candidates as you're kind of building it, building a, a job description or interviewing people for the role? What are some of the key factors you look for? Uh, so the, the number one factor, hands down, is passion. Uh, you can teach anyone a skill, whether it's you know, a new tool, new solution, um, you know, whatever you're your unique way of uh, performing certain cyber tasks are, but you can't teach someone passion. And so I think, I think that's critical. You, you really have to want to do this field um, or, or you're probably not going to last more than about two or three years because it's going to burn you out if you're not truly passionate about it. Uh, I think some of the other things that I look for is just from a hiring manager standpoint, okay, where do I have gaps on the team? What do I need to kind of do to, to balance the plate? So you're also looking for those skills. I look for someone who's uh, an active learner, who's actually looking for different ways that they can improve their skill set, improve their knowledge base on their own. You, know, you shouldn't have to push um, someone through all of the training to get them the, the skills. They should be asking for it, should be interested in it. And uh, so that's one of the things that's nice to see are those people who are pursuing these things. You know, hey, I started off in, uh, you know, I was doing uh, help desk work or, you know, I started off uh, 
you know, working as a, as a sysadmin and I really liked X, Y, and Z, and this is why I've been pursuing this path. You know, those are the things that you love to hear as, as a hiring professional in, uh, in cyber, because it shows that that person is not just interested in the field, but they have the curiosity that is going to help them be successful long-term within the profession. It changes so frequently, you know, you can't have somebody who just specializes in one thing and that's the only thing they're ever gonna do. You wanna find somebody who uh, found something that they were interested in, pursued it, and you know, I'm also kind of looking at this and this and this, and I'm trying to just determine where I wanna go. Um, and you know, the last person that joined my team uh, has kind of that, that operations background. He came from uh, dealing with access management and uh, compliance and, and regulatory and audit. And uh, it's like, all right, well, how about we get you into some of these solutions that we use and then you determine, you know, just playing with them, what you're most interested in. You know, hey, I'd like to really look at this, this, and this. Okay, well, I think that that would be a good place for you to, to focus on. And that way, you know, the next time we need to fill a position, we can kind of continually look at balancing out the plate, you know, kind of like the five food groups. We need to make sure we've got the team balanced. Um, so I, again, and that kind of goes down to any hiring manager. You want to find someone who's good for the, for the team. It's going to be a, a good fit with the dynamic. Who's going to bring something um, important to the organization. And I would say the last thing is I look for people who, do things better than I do. Um, so if if somebody has a not necessarily a specialty, but characters and traits where I know I'm weak on them, uh, that's gonna that's going to present itself during the usually during the interview or during the conversation. It's like you know I could really use this person um, to help help offset this. Um, either within myself or within the team, but also knowing that, you know, I can give them uh, a task or an issue and, and they're going to do it uh, better than I could ever hope to do it myself. And so that's, that's kind of what I want as a, as a leader is to find people who are better at uh, things than, than I am. Uh, so that, you know, I'm happy to mentor and, and whatnot, but, um, I think I think uh, everyone grows when you bring those type of people into a team. Yeah, you, you you talk about that. It's the many disciplines of cyber, and the ultimate challenge of people who want to get into the industry and people who we interview for roles is when you speak to someone who's just trying to get started in cyber and you want to give them a chance, and they haven't done the research on disciplines. Yeah, I'm 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 very. Uh, at that point, I'm almost shaking my head and I'm like, so you're kind of wanting to get into this for the money or for the job security. Because if you don't know what are the disciplines of cyber, if you can't name three disciplines, then I don't know what we can do because you're just thinking, you know, hackers. And I'm like, well, hackers are good people. They're cyber criminals. Those are bad people. <laughs> I have hackers on my team. They're not bad people. They're great people. They're the best people there are. Like, right, like the Chris Roberts and, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm forgetting a few others here and, and I apologize for that. 
but those are good hackers. Those are people who do it for the sake of helping us. And then there are cyber criminals who do it for the sake of profit. And those cyber criminals, I very, you know, if, if you can't use the right terminology, then I don't know that you could be a part of my team. Yeah. And, you know, in the past, I've had, uh, I've had internal hiring opportunities. And I, one of the things that I try to do, so it's great to have internal candidates, especially if you have internal candidates who are qualified. Uh, and even better if you have multiple internal candidates that are qualified. But uh, I remember I had, I had one position open and I had three internal candidates who uh, met the uh, requirements for the interview. And my hardest task was telling the two who didn't get the position why they didn't get it. So one of the things that I tried to do, and uh, I hope that other people in, uh, that are in the hiring manager position do this as well, whether it's, inter well, it's usually easiest to do it with internal candidates. Uh, external candidates may not take the feedback as well, but is to provide that feedback and uh, provide also opportunities to uh, learn, train, uh, and educate themselves for free or low cost. So I would provide them a resource list and say, okay, if you're interested in this, here are some free opportunities to uh, learn more about it. Uh, and then again, with uh, that feedback is, you know, here's where you did well and, and here's where you're weak. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in IT security, if you're, if you're passionate about getting into the field, then I would recommend that you look into X, Y, and Z, just spend a little bit of time on your own after hours uh, or talk with the team. I mean, when it comes to something like antivirus or patching, you know, there's, there's always going to be a few machines out there where you're going to need a, a, a hand touch. So maybe get them involved in that way. But, you know, it's. No, it's, 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 you talk about something that I feel is, um, is really a challenge for, for a lot of us as, as hiring managers, which is, we want to hire good people. And I, I agree with your statement. I want to hire someone who's smarter than me, right? I need people who are smarter than me. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room because I'm not always going to know everything. And one of the things I'm talking about a lot right now with my team is the idea of the diversity of thought. If I don't have diversity of thought on my team, um, I'm failing. If my room sounds like an echo chamber, then I'm failing as a leader and I'm probably going to shake things up. And that's something that everyone in my team knows, Brent. They know that if they all sit in a meeting and everyone agrees with me and no one challenges, even if it's a bad, even if it's a bad challenge, let's say everyone knows this is probably the right move. But if we don't challenge it, if we for a second sit in our chairs around this table and get complacent, we allow ourselves to become victims for the next group of adversaries that are target our organization. So diversity of thought is critical. And since I started the podcast and I've been interviewing people, right, two, two and a half years that I've been doing the podcast, and I've had people who've showed up to the interview and now they'll talk about diversity of thought. And so I'll challenge them into that because I do interviews different. I think I shared it with you how I do my job interviews. Yeah. They're, 
they're they're very different. I don't I don't like to do the traditional manager judging you, you evaluating me, but I'd rather us have a conversation where it becomes a uh, an idea sharing place. And I want to see how you react to different ideas I throw out. And here's a little tip. I throw out some foolish ideas to see if someone will challenge me on them. Yeah. And that's that's actually a really great strategy because if somebody if somebody grabs those hook, line, and sinker, you really don't want them on the team. Um, or or you need to ask, okay, why why was it that you agreed with that statement? Because you know, I just uh, I just told you that uh, uh, you know we need to ban all all Twitter feeds. Why why do you agree with that? You know, so <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> you know, it, that that's that is a really good strategy. You know, I'm going to have to toss that into mine. Uh, I do that with my team to some degree, where I'll throw out an idea just to see what um, what the pushback, what other ideas are. Uh, luckily, I've got a team that they don't have any problem pushing back. Uh, or, or offering their own opinions. So uh, I guess I'm lucky in, in uh, that regard. So well, uh, it's, it's I, I really like that diversity of thought. I, I know I wrote it down as you were, as you were telling me <laughs> and it's like, Oh, that's a great, great, uh, you know, three word strategy right there. So it's uh, we go into every meeting with the idea that if, you know, everyone agrees with everyone, we're doing something wrong. And I think we've reached a point where, we, you know, constantly sit in echo chambers in every, almost in every aspect of our lives. And I don't want to be in a chamber where everyone agrees with me. I think that's such a boring chamber. It's such a boring world, right? It's so boring when everyone agrees with you. Like, I don't know. I find it to be, I, in, you know, maybe it's because my parents are Israelis and I was born, you know, and they were born in a conflict. And so I grew up, you know, with that kind of like, we have to conflict on things, but I think that's important. I think the only way we know we have the best idea is through the the, the, um, the conflict from our team, the challenge back, the pushback. Yeah, it's it's a real life vetting process, right? You know, you, you toss your idea out there, and uh, you know if it makes it to the end, um, great. But, you know, if you toss your idea out there and uh, it's soon it's tapping out and uh, somebody else's idea takes hold and you end up with a better solution, then, I mean, how do you lose even as a leader? You know, yeah, you tossed your idea out there, but it turns out that it wasn't better than anybody else's. And uh, you're, now you're going with a better solution because you you simply put it out there and uh, gave your team an opportunity to to shine and, you know, uh, give you an opinion based off of their experiences. Right, which hopefully they're in the trenches more than we are at this point. So you they are. want that kind of experience. They are. You know, when I was when we're in the military, right? I mean, I was intel. The guys that went before you, the people who you got the intel from, the people who just came from a place where you're trying to go and get more intel in order to uh, secure a uh, a successful offensive or defensive of a place, right? The, the people that are in the trenches that did that first or second battle. That's the most important intel I'll get. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I want to listen to. I don't want to listen to some guy sitting, you know, thousands of miles away in some office somewhere trying to tell me what we should or shouldn't be doing. I want to get the intel from those guys. I want to get the information. I want to hear what their thoughts are so that I can, in my place, analyze it 
and provide the best course of action and know which, what kind of intel am I going to be looking for? Right. There's so many different ways to look at it. And in, in security, it's funny because I feel like when, when we come from the service, everything kind of relates to, to that. We can always take an example from something from the military and go, yeah, here you go. This is it. Well, it definitely offers a unique perspective, uh, you know, a combination of the training, uh, the environment and uh, locale. Uh, it, it definitely changes your, your outlook on uh, not just life and business, but just, I think, on everything. It gives you um, the ability to look outside yourself. And I, I think that that's important. Yeah, you, you've got to be able to do that. Let's talk just briefly here before we move and talk a little bit about cyber. When you look at leadership from, you know, we kind of spoke a little bit about leadership right now, you and I kind of sharing our ideas and whatnot. But what about outside of cyber? How, how, what are some of the tools or best practices that are needed for CISOs to reach out across the business and really build a cyber culture, a security culture within the organization? So communication. I think communication is truly the key. And that's, that's beyond cyber. That's key to any vertical. Uh, whether you're dealing with technology, you're dealing with communications, marketing, uh, operations, it doesn't really matter. Uh, communication is the best way for us to get uh, the point across, sell our, our product idea or budget, uh, our requirements. But also, it's the, it's the only way we're going to get the buy-in. And, you know, security is it is not a profit center unless you are running a security company. So as a, uh, as an operational overhead cost or expense, you know, you need to find ways uh, to provide value and, uh, and, and ensure that uh, leadership understands that the value is more than just, okay, well, we didn't get hacked this month. Um, and a lot of that is gonna is gonna come about through culture, and again, that comes back to that communication. So, there's so many different directions I could go with this. Um, no, I mean that's 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 wonderful. I think you you brought up such a really, I think a point that a lot of CISOs that come on the show talk about, which is how do we turn cybersecurity into um, from a red line on the budget sheet to a black line on the budget sheet. And, and there's inherent challenges, especially when, you know, you're in hospitality and gaming. And those are um, – gaming's a very profitable business, but it's also very lucrative for cyber criminals as well. They look for – I mean, I remember meeting with a large – when I started in security around 2014, when I really kind of started an independent consulting practice, I was in London – and I was meeting with um, a CIO. Uh, they didn't have a CISO. They had a bunch of security people on payroll, but no leadership. The CIO led it of a very large online gambling outfit in the UK. Mm -hmm. And we were having a conversation around um, DDoS attacks. 
So they knew every hour for them, every minute of every hour equaled an X amount of betters and equaled an X amount of revenue. And anytime their platform wasn't available, cost them real money, like actual money. Like if your platform went down for a minute, it can cost you a hundred thousand quids. It's a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? Especially during like soccer matches or boxing events or horse racing or, you know, sports betting is huge. And cyber criminals knew that. And they would target the platform would essentially DDoS for ransom. So the old form of ransomware, mm-hmm. we're going to shut down your website. We're going to overflow you with traffic unless you pay us. Yeah, I could see that. That's uh, uh, I remember having that conversation with him, and we were talking to his operational leadership, sort of COO and the CEO of of, of this uh, place, of this uh, online casino, and the CEO goes, "Well, we may need to spend more on security, and." You know, it becomes even a greater liability, like it becomes a greater budgetary concern for us as an organization, because how much more do we need to spend? Or is it easier to pay these guys a hundred grand and get them to go away? Yeah. And that's, it. it's funny that uh, you bring, you bring up basically, Hey, do we pay off? uh, Do do we pay off the cyber criminals and, uh, you know, hope that they don't come back and ask for more because now they know we're going to pay. But, um, you know, from, from our perspective, we don't have the footprint like they do in, uh, the EU. So the EU actually has a lot of online gaming, uh, the U S not so much. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a property up in Pennsylvania that we're able to do that with. Um, but, uh, trying to think of the the way to put it um i i think that even though we're not able to show a line you know a black line in the budget saying hey this is the amount that um that we saved it's it, we do have instances where you can say hey this is this is an issue we brought it up it wasn't addressed we saw it exploited. It cost X amount, you know, and, and use that kind of as a use case uh, to show that, yeah, there, there is some value and some benefit to this. And, um, you know, it's, those are unfortunate events to have to live through. Uh, but uh, sometimes they are the best budget sellers in the sense that, oh yeah, there, there actually is some benefit to this other than, you know, just this, uh, uh, unending, um, you know, money drain, uh, on, on security. Well, no, no, there's, there's a positive offset. You know, we, we're not dealing with this type of loss. We're not seeing issues here that, uh, other organizations in our same industry are falling victim to. So it's, it's being able to find those examples as well as, Hey, there's something that's going around. It's hitting all the, uh, the gaming and hospitality organizations, but um, not ours. And this is why. So that might be the, um, 
the selling point for now. It's it's still kind of hard to capture it. It's like life well, insurance. I think you know in the EU, like you said, um, gaming and hospitality are far more online and more widespread. The 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 footprint is much greater than in the U.S. In the U.S., you know, as much as I think everyone in the U.S. would love to have gaming be completely legal across all fifty states online, Vegas and Atlantic City would, you know, would throw a fit over it um you know because that feel like people wouldn't show up to the casino anymore but i think we've we, i think we've proved the fact now that in covid right people still want to go places right you can't just completely lock them down and think that the online world's going to stop people from going someplace no absolutely i agree uh you know that our our brick and mortar casinos are doing very well. Uh, you know there has been a lot of uh, work. You know I, I I can't even imagine how much effort it took to uh, rearrange the floors the way that uh, that our people have to provide that social distancing. You're not going to be able to sit down in a, uh, next to somebody in a machine. I mean they have gone all out to ensure that social distancing is there, that the, the mask rules are enforced, and, and it's very strict. You know, when I go into the office, I have to wear a uh, N95. I don't have any option. It's, as soon as you walk in, they're right there. You get a temperature check, you go in. So, and it's the same way for the guests. And by taking that approach, um, we actually have really good uh, guest turnout in the properties right now, which, you know, honestly was surprising. Uh, of course, I'm grateful for, it makes it a little bit easier to get a paycheck when people can come in and generate revenue. But um, yeah, I, I think that as much as, uh, to your point, people have gone online and we've seen a big shift in business online, the people still want to go someplace. And whether it's uh, a restaurant, um, you know, an enter entertainment venue, or just getting together with friends, uh, family, whatnot, uh, and groups larger than five or six. So I, I think that uh, some of the challenges we're seeing are because of that. Um, but I, I, I'm hoping that this pandemic and the, the issues that we've seen grow from it from a security perspective help us come up with uh, future solutions and really a different way to approach security. Uh, I, I agree. And I think we are, we're, we're, we're getting there. Let's talk a little bit about security, you know, in, in your day to day, what, what aspect of security do you spend the most time on? <laughs> oh, well, that's one of the advantages of security um, because not every day is going to be, uh, it's not going to fall into a schedule more often than not. Uh, at least, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always have something that'll pop up that is a little unexpected. So, the currently I'm dealing with uh, multi-factor authentication rollout, and I, I shouldn't say I am. My team and uh, IT and our property IT teams are dealing with multi-factor authentication rollout. Uh, we also have a intranet type portal uh, 
along with uh, mobile apps that go along with it. Those are rolling out. And uh, uh, part of the uh, part of the solution that we're rolling out for MFA deals with uh, enabling it on some of our platforms like Office 365, that type of thing that gives us a much needed um, authentication uh, factor that uh, has become a glaring gap with remote work and uh, the growth of uh, phishing. So those are the three biggies. Uh, but, you know, you can log into a, into a device or pull up a report and go, okay, well, this is uh, three times the number we saw yesterday. Uh, so now you're shooting off emails or you're looking in that environment just to try to find out, you know, get your finger on the pulse of, okay, what's, what's happened in the environment in the last 24 hours um, or since I left work yesterday. So with, uh, with my uh, environment, you know, just looking at it, um, the, the sheer quantity of data is enough to be overwhelming. You know, we've got 10 properties, and uh, if you were to walk into any, any casino and, and look at, uh, say, uh, one of the, uh, the slots on the floor and think that that slot machine has two network connections, and then multiply that by the number of slots. Um, so there's a lot of internal traffic generation. So it, it keeps you busy. Yes, yes. It, 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 uh, you know, that's the beauty of cyber, though, is, you know, there's never one thing that you do more than another, and everything is kind of by season, right? So, you know, today it's, it's, it's an MFA rollout. Tomorrow it's, you know, could be something completely different. Um, you know, it could be, you know, virtual terminal rollouts across different aspects of the business. It could be the implementation of of different tools and, and, and so forth. You know, it's that's uh, I love seeing you talk about that because you, you it kind of shows the diversity of things in security that very few roles in the organization and in business and in life give you that kind of, you know, wingspan to, to say that I can do all kinds of things in a period of a day. I can go from looking at network security to data security, to working with DevOps on a new product, to, you know, dealing with uh, possible vendors or partners of ours who have some security questions for us about an integration or data processing or data storage. There's, so many different really interesting aspects of it that there's not a boring day and no days are alike for a cybersecurity leader. Yeah, if, if you like constant change, uh, security is a great field. You know, it's, and to your point, you know, talking about the, the different things that you can, you can use. I mentioned a few of those projects, you know, you, you've also got the uh, firewall uh, placements you know, you're doing rip and replace when you do an acquisition, um, or there, there are just no end. Uh, there, there's no end to the tasks, um, and some of them are a lot of fun. And some, you know, if you're dealing with uh, regulatory and audit issues, you're having to answer questions. Oh, you know, how how are you doing this? Uh, can you show me the last uh, three minutes of of this report? Um, 
Mm, those are those are probably the uh, less entertaining uh, portions of it, but you, you're not going to be able to uh, sit down with a day planner and and schedule out your next 40 days with any high level of accuracy. Um, so maybe it's good that I am in the gaming industry. There, yeah, there are some yeah. there. You know, it's um, uh, I put a post on LinkedIn last week, and I said outside of the role of the CEO, the role of the CISOs probably requires the most diversity set of knowledge of any other role in the business. Simply because if you're, you know, a CFO, you need to understand the business and finance, and that's about it, and a little bit of risk and insurance. If you're a COO, you need to understand operations. That's about it. You're a CMO. You're a marketing and sales kind of person. You're a chief revenue person. You're a salesperson, right? And that's where it kind of all ends for you. But as a CISO, well, I need to know how sales operates. I need to know how marketing operates. So I need to understand those two lines of business. And I don't need to understand them from what we do. Like we do Google AdWords. Wonderful. I could care less, Mm -hmm. right? It's more of who are the partners that you have? What kind of data? Because to me, a lot of times, the greatest risk for my organization is sales and marketing. Oh, uh, yeah. You get into the uh, sales and marketing, and now you're looking at uh, um, rogue IT operations. More yeah. or less. Oh, yeah. Well, well, we moved this out to the cloud two months ago because uh, it just streamlined our operations for us. Well, did, did you happen to think about talking to anybody about it before you did that? No, no. Signing no. a contract or. Yeah. So, you know, you know, to your point about the that background, you know, you get to spend a lot of time dealing with vendor management contracts. Uh, I mean, how many managed service agreements have you looked at in your career? I mean, you could probably write one in your sleep. And uh, you know, sometimes I dream about them. They come in my dream. Here's a managed service agreement. Yeah, and it's and it's it's funny because you do have an opportunity to um, play in so many different arenas. Uh, it's in some ways it is it is a case of uh, you know jack of all trades and master of none, but it also provides you such a rounded, robust background. Uh, and experience by the time you've made it to that leadership level where you're fairly competent anytime you want to pursue uh, any given strategy or path because you know you may not know it from uh, A to Z, but you've got at least 20 letters of the alphabet covered. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in that you don't need to be the master of all those different disciplines across the business, but you need to have really good familiar, you know, you need to be really familiar with them and you need to be able to um, understand how to get security integrated into those specific operations. I mean, you know, pre-COVID, we had so many people traveling in our team, right, that I used to have a rule, a rule of thumb, which was don't open your laptop at an airport and access any company system at all while you're at the airport unless you're sitting in a chair with your back to a wall and we literally did an entire training for our sales team people 
And I remember at the time, you know, we're, we're, we're based overseas. So we went to our local airport overseas where almost everyone flies into or out of. And I had spoken to the CISO at the airport who I knew. And I said, would you mind if I brought all my sales team, would you give us a pass? I want to do a training at the airport for oh. traveling people. And they went, sure, why not? And here's the funny story. So I dragged everyone to the airport. This is hilarious. You're going to love this, Brent. Drag everyone to the airport. And I tell them, I want you to behave like you would behave when you're traveling. Don't change a thing about your behavior. Not a thing. Don't worry about the camera people that are following you. Don't let that concern you one bit. Just do what you normally do. So, you know, this person goes and sits at, at the bar, opens his laptop, grabs a beer, orders a burger, you know, working. This other person is sitting by the gate on the phone, talking, typing away. This other person, everyone's typing away. So we, I, I planted a few people to walk by and take pictures of them. Right. And of stuff they were doing for work. How did that all turn out? So, so it was, it was very interesting. So when we showed them the final product in the training, so we did the kind of airport thing and then we let everyone go and I stayed around and cause I knew what everyone was doing. Right. And I kind of said, well, you want to grab a burger and you want to sit in a restaurant and eat and have a beer. That's fine. Sit at the place where you have the least traffic behind you. So always face the door, never face the window. Yeah, it's nice to look at airplanes, but guess what? When you look at airplanes, someone else is looking at your screen. Oh, absolutely. Right? Um, if you're getting to the airport and you're in the um, boarding area of your for your flight, sit with your back against the wall if you're going to open your laptop. Always use VPN. Now, they were good enough to always use VPN and so forth. Um, a lot of them after this went and brought, got like the screen darkeners yeah. to put on them. Yeah. And I was all like, those are nice. I go, but not very nice. Because, the, yeah, they block out a little bit. So we instituted a policy for people who are traveling that said that you can't access any government, any uh, um, company uh, material at all that had a secret classification or above while you were traveling. So you can't open your laptop and work on a proposal on the airplane. Can't do it. Sorry. Unless you're in the last row of the airplane sitting window seat and you can position your laptop so that you're the only person seeing your screen is the bird flying alongside the airplane. That's it. Yeah. That, uh, that, that all kind of goes back to the operational security. And right aspect from the military you know if you're surrounded by people why are you going to be working on sensitive projects uh, by all means uh, that's that i'd prefer you to sit there and watch netflix than uh work on on company information um when you're surrounded by by others no i i agree with you i'd rather you be on netflix be on youtube sit on facebook mm -hmm. i don't care just 
don't access any of our networks. And so I brought a guest CISO to speak to them. And I brought the CISO to the airport. And he kind of shared with them the fact that, you know, people think that free Wi-Fi at the airport is safe. And it's not. And, and it's... Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's it's funny how many free Wi-Fis appear at the airport. Yeah. And how many of them have similarities mm-hmm. to some, like, you'll have an AT&T, but without the and in the T, it'll just be ATT, right? And you're like, well, uh, AT, AT&T would never write an ATT. The and of AT&T is part of their trademark, you know? That would never do that, but most people wouldn't know the difference, right? They don't think that way. And th- th- there, there's a piece to that that I feel like it's um, we're overly paranoid as security folks, but at the same time, we're also very um, aware of our environments, and we want people to be aware. And so, you know, I used that training as not of a FUD training, right? It wasn't a kind of great fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but it was more of a best practice training. So when we kind of we never showed them their footage until we finished everything. So <laughs> what we what what I didn't want to do was record them doing what they do at the airport traditionally, then bring them in, train them, show them that video, and train them. Because I felt like that's um, you know that that's like calling a kid out for 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 something that they wouldn't know any better. They don't know any better, right? But no, I agree. What I wanted to do was I wanted to, one, understand bad habits. And number two, I wanted them to go from the training and then subconsciously start to realize. And there, there's there's levels of change that people have to go through, right? No one changes overnight. Change takes time. But get them kind of more of where do you sit at the airport? Where do, If you want to work while you're on a flight, what seat should you pick to sit on? Right, yeah, and that and that's that that cultural change, you know. So you're implementing cultural change slowly, uh, and that's the that seems to be the way that uh, change is adopted best is incrementally, and you know, just uh, a few bites at a time. You know, how to eat the elephant, and I'm sure that uh, that that was probably a lot more effective what you did than if you had taken the, the opposite approach where you just came in and, and did what you said you, you, you didn't do, you know, as far as the, the training and then, you know, you've got the video and the training and then, the, you know, it's, were you able to uh, like follow up and, and see from a statistical perspective, hey, you know, after going through this process, um, we didn't have these issues or, you know, well, so, so so one thing we looked at was a month later, we asked for their travel schedule. And then we went and we looked at their time on the network while they were on travel. <laughs> and we knew that two hours before a flight, right, we, we wanted to see that they log in anything. And you know what? Logins to networks was down by 90%. That's fantastic. Right. So they now kind of understood that when I'm at the airport, we also played it off a of work and life balance. I don't want you at the airport stressed out working on something. 
And if you're going to do it, don't do it on a big screen. At least do it on your iPhone screen and make sure no one's behind you. Right? Because at least on a small screen, it's harder than a big screen. I, you know, it, it was funny. I was at a, um, a few years ago, I was in uh, New York for, um, I had a bunch of meetings in New York and I was there for NTSC roundtable. And I flew in that morning and I flew back that night because the next day was uh, Seder, uh, Jewish Passover. You don't miss Jewish Passover, mm-hmm. right? That's like not being home for Christmas Eve. Um, and so I flew home that night because the next day I, I didn't want to risk staying the night in New York and possibly being delayed or not making it home in time. So I was like, I'll just take the last flight out of LaGuardia. So I'm standing in line in LaGuardia on the Delta line to board a flight. In front of me is this lovely lady who's a lawyer who works for a big bank who was doing a really big confidential settlement. And I can read everything. I knew who what the bank did. I know who the settlement is for. I knew the amount of settlement. I knew it all. Now, if I was, you know, a malicious person with all that information, I can go and leak it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that uh, people often lose sight of of the fact that they're dealing with sensitive information um, because they're so caught up in the moment. You know, they're they're on that call. It's uh, you know, they're not worried about the the people around them. Uh, you know, I, the, the focus is in the wrong place. I think, and a lot of it is just the way that we work. Um, but that's one of the things that I think that we've seen through the pandemic is you have so many more people working remote that before were nine to five office types. And, you know, the way that we structure our security solutions is around the business. It's around the organization. When you come into that brick and mortar building, so much of what we've put into place is in that building or is part of a portal that you would normally access from that environment. And so, you know, your, your firewalls, unless you've got a VPN uh, connection, are you hitting the firewall? I mean, at your house, at the hotel. And so, so much of our, of our security infrastructure and uh, the walls of the castle, so to speak, are around the castle. So when you leave the castle, you can't take those walls with you. And that's what we've seen so much of this past year is everybody knows that you know and uh, the explosion of, of of phishing and uh more recently the um microsoft and uh chrome browser extensions that you know we're we're backdooring uh, the information if if you don't have uh if you don't have the infrastructure in place outside of your your uh organization to combat that then you're going to be a ripe target and a potential victim yeah you, you that that's such a magnificent point which is you've really got to mind yourself i mean COVID has made life easier in a way where we don't have to deal with a lot of people traveling but we've got to deal with home networks and i think that's even more challenging because you have less control over it i need this person to access everything from home I don't have the luxury of blocking specific stuff like I would when you're traveling. Exactly. 
it's it's created a whole new sense. We're we're almost out of time, and so Brent, I want to get us into the CISO insight round of you know you and I get chatty and and lo and behold we're. 58 minutes into the podcast and I'm like, whoa, where, what? <laughs> I just looked up on the clock and I'm like, how did we get to 58 minutes? No, we just burned right through it. We so. just burned right through it. So my, my favorite part of the podcast is really the CISO insight round because that's where I get to learn a lot about <laughs> you, Brett. So um, if you don't know, and I don't think I told you, I have a graveyard in my backyard and it's full of buzzwords. So what buzzword would you put in my graveyard? Oh, there's so many. Uh, you know, I don't have a favorite uh, buzzword that I'd like to see go away because I don't like the marketing speak in general. So if, if there's a way that we could have like a buzzword plague that takes out a lot of them all at like once. Like a buzzword COVID? Yes, yes. Uh, and and no no immunization whatsoever. Let's just kill off a lot of the buzzwords. If I you don't that. work in marketing and sales, let's let them die. Um, don't need them. I like that. A COVID-19 for buzzwords. COVID-20. Yes. Killing yes. the buzzwords. That's COVID the title 21. of this podcast. COVID-21. Mm -hmm. Killing, killing the buzzwords. <laughs> no vaccination. Pfizer, don't worry about it. No national security threat here. Just proper elimination of the population. <laughs> yes, we, we don't want any kind of herd immunity. Just just knock them all out. I I, I, I like that. That's great. I don't have to dig anything for it. And 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 that you know, helps me a ton. So let's talk about one technology you think is going to change the way we do cybersecurity. Oh, you know, the, the thing that I would like to see, and it's, it's not even so much a technology. Uh, I think it's a, a, a mindset and because there's, there's always going to be the next shiny bobble. Right. Uh, so I, I don't think there is a silver bullet from that aspect. I think one of the things that, uh, we should, we should look at IT security or cyber the same way we look at medicine. I mean, we even use some of the same terms. You've got worm, you've got viruses, you've got, you know, you've got things that describe uh, malicious activity. A lot of the things that we do or our terminology that we use in security comes from that healthcare medical uh, side, you know, you're uh, inoculizing. You're, you're you're doing these things to improve your health. And and part of the issue is, um, a lot of us look after our own health, but when it comes to our cyber health or our technology health, we ignore it. We 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 act like a, a drunken sailor on uh, you know, on liberty. Uh, we go places that we shouldn't, we do things that we shouldn't, and uh, we pretend that there is no tomorrow. Oh, you know, I, I can't imagine. we got held out by our ship commander. Because, it, exactly, you know. exactly. You know, um, well, why did my identity get stolen? Well, you know, uh, you hit every bar in the port with your credit card. Uh, so if, if we start thinking about uh, security from that healthcare aspect, 
it does two things for us. One, it, it's something that's more easily relatable to people than a lot of the black box solutions today. I mean, try to explain um, how artificial intelligence works to uh, identify anomalous network activity. If you want to put somebody to sleep, that's a great strategy to choose. But if you explain to them, you know, hey, we're doing this and, and it works the same way as, as your body's skin or uh, your, uh, your, uh, your antibodies. Uh, the other thing that it does is from a security leadership standpoint, it moves you away from the one and done where you have one big issue and then uh, a leader is shown out the door. And um, unfortunately, a lot of them are shown out the door and then they have a hard, hard time landing another position. We call it practicing medicine for a reason. Uh, if you took every doctor who lost a patient and forced them out of the field, you wouldn't have any doctors. And unfortunately, the way that we're treating cybersecurity professionals is, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a winch hunt mentality, but it is, uh, it's the opposite of the way that we treat medical professionals. If, if you have an infection in your environment, it's not the security person's fault. You need them to help you recover and, and well, one, identify it and then uh, recover from it and inoculate the patient so that uh, there's no reinfection in that way. But, you know, to have a big issue uh, that oftentimes is caused by a zero day or some, some flaw uh, that a fishing exercise managed to take down a whale in the environment or somebody with just the right credentials. It's, it's not fair to the organization and it's not fair to the security team to be uh, lambasted or blacklisted or, or pushed out of the environment because uh, if, if the patient is, is living like there's no tomorrow, you know, they're, they're smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, drinking a case of beer a day, uh, chasing it with a bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, they ride a motorcycle with no helmet, uh, in shorts and flip-flops, and uh, wear sunglasses at night, and uh, walk under all of the ladders. Um, there's, there, there are bad things that are going to happen. So if, if we look at it from a, hey, if you, if you don't treat your body well, if you don't treat your organization's cybersecurity well, then um, don't be surprised when you get sick or have an accident or have issues. But you will need uh, someone to come in and help fix you up, get you back onto the path, the road to recovery, and also advise you, oh, by the way, you should probably uh, cut down on your smoking and drinking and uh, consider wearing a helmet. Uh, so, do you think that cybersecurity people should take something like the Hippocratic Oath? Well, depending on, you know, which certifications uh, people have, they already have taken that. You know, if you look at a lot of the, uh, the certifying bodies, they do have essentially uh, an ethical 
oath requirement that, uh, you know. But it's not. So the Hippocratical Oath, which, you know, is do no harm. Do no harm. It's very interesting because um, JJ, Jacqueline Jane, um, who's my co-host on the uh, other side of cyber that we do uh, every Tuesday evenings at 830 Eastern. I'm sorry. I had to do a little self-promo there. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, she posted something yesterday where she essentially said, do you think um, cybersecurity professionals, anyone who goes into cyber should take an oath like the Hippocratic oath that doctors and nurses and everyone who's in healthcare takes. And if they don't uphold that oath, then they're essentially disbarred and sent away. So meaning if you're in security and you're negligent, and you allow your systems to get an infection, meaning it's snowing outside and it's 20 below and you walk outside without your shirt on with flip-flops and short pants and you go, I love it today. I'm the king of the world, right? And you get sick um, and and you kill your patient because you went out and you did that and you came and you infected seven of your patients and you got them all sick because of that, then you probably shouldn't be a doctor anymore. Oh, that's that's true. Uh, it, it, I, I do think that there are already, uh, you know, oaths or agreements that we make when we go through that. Um, I just ISD squared had one. Uh, Sands used to have one back in the day. I know, but we I want it one for everyone. Oh yeah, like, it, I want it to mean something. Yeah, well, but that's that's one of the issues is. Uh, if you're a good guy, it's always going to mean something. You actually don't need that oath requirement because you're going to do the right thing regardless uh, because it's part of your, it's part of who you are and uh, your behavior. So it's, it's not so much that, Hey, I agreed to this and I signed this paper. It's more of um, your personality uh, intrinsically. And those who are going to bend the rules move uh, from the white into the gray into the black areas, um, it doesn't probably matter what they scribble down on a piece of paper. It's but I not think it does. See, I, I, I disagree with you there. I actually think it does. I think it does matter. I think most people that go into the healthcare field and go into Medicare and want to take care of patients don't do it out of a um, sadistic need to want to do evil. Right. I mean, those are far and few in between. I mean, anyone could name a few bad apples, but overall, the general mass of the population is very good. In cyber, our challenge is that we have just as motivated adversaries. So our infections and our cancers are far more motivated and can spread and, 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 and do things at a far greater rate than, um, than anything else. And the people who are on the defensive are limited, meaning they're, 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 you know, you're, you're limited by resources within your organization, Mm -hmm. by possible regulation and legal aspects, um, within your nation. And so, there, there are things where, you know, we're, we're a multinational, you know, there's some stuff that we do that, you know, is frowned upon in some places and isn't in others. And so the frowned upon stuff that we do is done in places where it's not frowned upon. Right. 
you know, that's why some people go to different parts of the world to get treatments. I mean, I think Jordan Peterson had uh, got really ill and he went to a doctor in the States. He went to a doctor in England and he ended up going to Russia because the treatment that he was getting in Russia wasn't going to be one that they would ever approve in the U S or the UK. So the best of our doctors can give him that. So he ended up going to Russia to get it full knowing full knowing the risks completely that I may die in Russia. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a very, it's a very, very interesting topic here. And I hate that you brought it up an hour and 10 minutes into the yeah, show. Yeah. And, and I was, you should, have, you should have started the show with this. We could have been. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was such a great thing. I'm actually going to cut that part out and, and just post it on its own. Um, so, so people can actually catch it because that that's comparing cybersecurity to, to healthcare and kind of viewing it the same way, especially in terms of a CISO's job security, right? You don't fire a doctor for killing a patient. I mean, there was an entire show about a doctor doing crazy thing. It was called House. Yes. That guy never got yes. fired. No. And, and again, it's, you know, it's practicing medicine. Well, we're practicing security. Our patient is an organization. And, um, you know, we, we, if we treated it the same way and we looked at it as, not so much if you get sick, you know, you don't die every time you, you catch a cold. So why are we treating every, every outbreak, every issue that happens in an organization like the end of times? Um, yeah, because that's, it's that's not. That's such a good point. That's such a great point. All right. Well, let's, <laughs> <laughs> so what's the last book you read? Oh, uh, so I'm trying to think of it because I'm reading one now. What are you um, reading now? Here, let me grab it real quick. Uh, so I do audiobooks. I've okay. got a lot of windshield time. And so let's see, the last one that I read. Uh, let me pull it up. The Spy Who Came In Out of the Cold. Very uh, good. Yeah, got that one. Uh, the Tale Teller and uh, How Successful People Think. Um and uh, another interesting one is Atlas Shrugged. So those are probably all within the last uh, two weeks. So you do get a lot of windshield time. I'm, uh, I'll be glad to go back to my windshield time real soon. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm really psyched. Um, we're planning. I'm planning my first in-person event for the end of April here in Georgia. But in, like I said, over the summer I'll be in Israel and and. I'm really psyched about that. I'll be spending a month recording in Israel, so it's going to be a great time. So, yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to those podcasts. Um, my brother uh, made it over there five five years ago, maybe six years ago, and uh, looked beautiful. I've never been, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping uh, to hoping you, to make you it can there. Go back if you go back to my podcasts um, over the last two summers. I spent the last two summers in Israel. Summer of 19, I took a delegation of CISOs with me. And we went to Tel Aviv University Cyber Week, but it was a non-vendor Cyber Week. Meaning we didn't visit any vendors. We didn't get any pitches. We just met with our peers at other organizations across Israel and learned from them. 
So it was a very, very fun trip. And I've, I've got a ton of pictures of just oh, yeah. ton of videos all on social media. You should check it out. Yeah, what's I definitely need to. What's the last movie you saw? Oh, I saw uh, a portion of Wonder Woman. A portion of the, the new Wonder the, Woman? The, the new one. WW84, yeah. Yes. Brilliant. What's your favorite music, Brent? I don't have a favorite genre. Uh, I, I, I used to be a heavy metal guy. And okay. uh, I, I guess I, I, see I, that. I, I probably listen to uh, more alternative these days. Um, yeah, that's about it. What's one thing you took away from Solar Winds? Uh, that was a surprise in the sense that um, we weren't affected. But I think what I took away from it is the fact that you can have a vendor that is trusted by so many organizations uh, and, and has a leader or at least a uh, pretty good sized role within the security industry that may not always practice what they preach. And uh, you could fall victim to the vendor uh, or supply chain attacks that have been used to target so many other industries. Welcome to 2020. Or 2021. Redo. Do, 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 as <laughs> I, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, and I, I think we all kind of fall into that. Um, it's probably human nature that we don't always do what we know we should be doing. Um, which kind of goes back to that healthcare piece. It does. But, uh, it does. Yeah, we, we should be doing better, but we're not. Um, you know, um, SolarWinds had impact on on, on, on on a lot of organizations, but I will say that um, the do as I say, not as I do motto, that was the motto of 2020 because of COVID. Right, we saw so many different COVID rules that applied for everyone but some people. And yes. in security, we see the same thing. All these different security rules that apply for everyone but the person giving that rule. And with SolarWinds, I think that was heightened. And I think the complexities and the sophistication of SolarWinds also showed a very patient adversary, a very calculating adversary, and it showed all the lack of failures along the way. So when you look at the Florida water plant thing that, you know, happened. Oh, yes. Yes. They had so many controls in place. There was maybe a half of a percent chance that that attack would have been successful in terms of making it to the population, not in terms of actually doing it because they did it. But when they did it, the human element stepped in. The human looked at it and said, that's not right. We need to fix that. Hang on. Boop, boop, boop. Reversed it. But I've read, right, um, that they had three other stop gaps down the line. So before the water would have made it out, they have sensors in there that actually monitor these levels in the water. And had the water been at that dangerous level, what the hacker had set it up to be at the time, what the criminal set it up as, then 
it would have never made it into the population because they just had so many different controls in place. And let's not forget that last summer, um, Iran did something very similar in Israel. They attacked an Israeli water plant and tried to raise the level of sodium uh, hydroxide in the population. So um, this isn't an, it's an attack that hits close to home because it's Florida. It was a city right next to where the Super Bowl was on Super Bowl weekend, you know, but, but at the end of the day, they had enough stop gaps in place, right? And and I think that's something that solar winds didn't have. Yeah, and it makes you wonder whether it was, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of what you encounter if you're not starting from a new organization is you're dealing with sins of the past, uh, and the strategies of the past, and some of the unknowns. Um, trying to think, uh, you know the the Donald Rumsfeld, uh, you know, the known unknowns and unknown unknowns. And for an organization like SolarWinds, which was, you know, far different when they had a smaller client base and they probably didn't go back and check and fix the things as they increased in size. You know, maybe they had a inorganic, growth model. And I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but I think it's easy sometimes to uh, be ignorant of past decisions that come back to haunt us. Because from a, from a security perspective, we have to be right every time. And our adversary only has to get lucky once. once. Yeah. And, you know, with, with those kind of odds against you, there will always be some sort of checkbox, flag, or indication that somebody should have noticed earlier uh, that is the avenue for a successful attack. And, you know, if, if we didn't have um, such a, a, a large environment from a regulatory, from a technology, from a business uh, perspective to, to look at and cover uh, day in, day out, because while we sleep, you know, those electrons keep on flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our adversaries, they can pick the, the right time. And you might defend successfully against 100 of them. And uh, the 101st is the one that discovers the, the back door to your environment. So yeah, it's. I'll say it's that, a, yeah. here's my prediction. Watch. For Microsoft vulnerabilities over the next 12 months. They had access to the Microsoft source code. They looked at the Microsoft source code. They weren't able to export it, but you bet your sweet tail, they probably took entire videos of that source code and sent it for analysis. And they're looking at vulnerabilities within that source code and building backdoors. And if, you know, like, Many of us in cyber, we're all we all lean on Microsoft. It's one of our predominant partners, right? It's you know we've launched a Microsoft bug bounty program because of it. If you find any bug ba- internal bug bounty program on any vulnerability you find within our Microsoft systems, because I know it's coming. Oh, I don't I doubt said it. it. To my board, I said to my board, the the thing that worries me the most is the fact that they saw the Microsoft source code. Yeah, and so something that uh, I didn't realize until recently is, you know, you've got the uh, 
the Surface Pro X uh, that runs on the ARM processors. And the only way they're able to get the, uh, the X86 and X64 apps to run is using an emulator. So Microsoft had to emulate apps so that it can run in a processor it co-developed with Qualcomm for a business-focused tablet. So if I were targeting anything, I'd be targeting the emulator. Yeah, that's why hard. That's why a lot of times people ask me, James, why do you care so much about what laptops or phones we use? And I'm like, let me tell you why. Here's why. <laughs> he just said it. Here's why. Here's yep. another piece that should be a one-minute skit because you're absolutely right. Everything matters. I, I don't want to control every aspect of business. I don't want to tell you what computer you can and can't use, but I have to. You know why? Because people sell you stuff that they shouldn't yeah. sell you for the purposes they're selling it for. And that's part just, of capitalism. Just had this conversation uh, over the last week. You know, hey, I... Uh, I understand you don't want to you don't want us to get the surfaces. Why is that? And so I just kind of went through that and explained it real quick. And it's you know I went from it from a performance standpoint more than uh, a security standpoint. But I did mention oh you know and by the way, uh, most most endpoint protection solutions won't work on these devices because of that ARM processor, because you you don't want to have to rely on uh, you know the operating systems emulator so that you can access the processor. That's that's right in today's environment, that's not how you do it. You, you go to the architecture. And so, you know, if I, if, again, um, black hat folks out there, um, go ahead. I'm sure uh, a million of you have already thought of this, but Surface Pro uh, or ARM processors, you know, that's, that's your key target right now for x86 or x64. Anytime you have to emulate Every application out there that you need to use an emulator for to access uh, processor or system resources is a phenomenal target because now you can inject anything into any application that runs. You just find uh, something uh, obscure or you know an older process that you know might be running on a lot of these uh, solutions is I don't know background background process normal resource and pound away. And now I've given myself three more gray hairs right here. Yeah. So I, I completely agree. That's um, yeah. Welcome to that. Well, Brett, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, oh, James, thanks for having me. Eternally grateful folks. Uh, Brent Hotfless, um over at one Creek, make sure uh, his LinkedIn profile has a link in the show notes. You guys can connect with Brent and get more wisdom out of them. And remember, if you use any buzzwords, it's uh, COVID-21. All buzzwords are destroyed. The killing. The Amen. That's the 2021 <laughs> disease. Um, folks, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so. We'll be back next week with more CISO Talk. Until then, folks, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay healthy and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.